ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Damien Carrick with you. This is The Law Report. Over the last few years, a number of jurisdictions around Australia have introduced vulnerable witness intermediary programs, which assist child complainants give evidence in court or answer questions in police interviews. The ACT, which is the only jurisdiction in Australia which extends to vulnerable adult witnesses, is about to take another very significant next step. In an Australia First, the ACT is offering this service to defendants with special vulnerabilities. I'm joined by Laura Silesio, Director of the ACT's Intermediary Program, and by Assistant Professor John Taggart, based at Queen's University in Belfast. Northern Ireland has been a trailblazer in this field. Now, I should warn that we do discuss sexual assault, so please do listen with care. John Taggart, what is a vulnerable witness intermediary and what sorts of legal matters are they involved with? Vulnerable witness intermediaries are appointed to witnesses who are, as you say, assessed as vulnerable. And it's important to explain who these people are and really what their background tends to be. So intermediaries are one of a range of special measures that are used in courts, things like use of screens, use of live link, so people can appear in court remotely. And an intermediary is essentially one of the collection of special measures. Intermediaries tend to come from a speech and language therapy background. They're trained communication experts. And in the, in the context of the justice system, particularly the criminal justice system for the purposes of this topic, intermediaries will assess vulnerable witnesses. They will assess their communication needs and they will provide practical advice to police, lawyers, judges, uh, about how best to accommodate the needs of that vulnerable witness. And perhaps more pertinently for the court setting, they will sit with the vulnerable witness while they're being questioned by, by the barristers and ensure that the questions put to the witness uh, are comprehensible uh, and ensure the answers given back are as well. And they can intervene during the court examination if, in fact, that communication breaks down. So they're not a helper. They're not an emotional support. They don't work for the prosecution or defence. They are a neutral, impartial communication facilitator. A neutral officer of the court. That's the kind of official way of thinking about it. Can you give me some examples of the kinds of assistance that that they provide? Yeah, absolutely. When the legislation in in the UK, England and Wales initially, then Northern Ireland was introduced, it was very much seen as a court-based role. So intermediary sitting beside a witness in court would um, perhaps have concentration items. They might use timelines they might use other other sort of visual aids in court to help that witness follow the questions and ensure the questions given in reply are comprehensible. But in fact, what has happened is that the role has actually gone much broader than that. So in fact, what we'll have is we will have intermediaries um, attend conversations between lawyers and clients, if it's a defendant, which we can speak a bit more about <laughs> in a bit, but they can ensure that the barrister or lawyer taking instructions from their client in a consultation, that there's a communication flow there. But at the police station, for example, with, with witnesses, they can be there with the police officer prior to the interview to ensure that the types of questions that are going to be asked 
of the witness are actually going to be understandable. So they can work with police to go through the types of questions that would be appropriate, avoiding things like tag questions or compound questions, which lots of children and people with learning difficulties, for example, might find very difficult to understand. Compound question is like two questions rolled into one. What's a tag question? You knew that, didn't you? Or it's right to say, isn't it? Or you're lying about that, aren't you? Now, people who aren't lawyers and the, the, the common layperson in the street sometimes find the language used in court incomprehensible at times. But some of the most vulnerable members of society are expected to go through the process and understand all of the things that are said. So in, in some ways, the intermediary can be seen as a safeguard to ensure that everyone's treated fairly and is able to understand questions put to them. Laura Celesio, I'll, I'll bring you in here. Mm. You're director of the ACT's intermediary program. This service was a recommendation of the Royal Commission into Responses to Institutional Child Sexual Abuse. Mm -hmm. It's been in place for a number of years now. Can you give me a sense of the kinds of resources that these intermediaries use to help witnesses? So you might have someone who's very, very young and finds it difficult to sit still during an engagement, usually with police, but also if they're being questioned at court. So they might suggest the use of a weighted item to keep them sort of grounded and in the one spot. What do you mean, like a, like a soft toy or a spongy ball or something? Well, they're actually quite big. We've got a whole um, raft of, of resources that the intermediaries very diligently put a lot of thought and care into when they purchase them. So you might have something that is probably, it's hard to say what how big they are, but they sit on, on a lap and they're, they're weighted. So they've got a bit of weight to them um, and they keep individuals sort of grounded in that on that spot, stops people from getting up and wandering around if they're feeling agitated or stressed. They've also got, for particularly young kids, chair bands. So when they're kicking their feet, it's not a distraction. They, they kick them into the band and it keeps them sort of stationary. So that's just that's a couple of examples of a whole heap of resources that intermediaries will think about when they look at the information provided to them about that particular witness. I understand that um, sometimes intermediaries have recommended the use of post-it notes. So you kind of put yeah. a word, a keyword down on a piece of paper and then yep. have sort of a series of these. So, mm -hmm. so that helps with the chain of thought of the child. Also um, mm -hmm. taking regular breaks. Yep. I understand there was one police interview involving a five-year-old where mm -hmm. the police were advised to bring a teepee from the yeah. child's play area in the foyer into the interview room. Why was that? So we're very lucky. Our sexual assault and child abuse team, um, our psychiatric colleagues, have embraced the program and the way in which intermediaries come in into that interview space. And so there's a, a, an assessment room separately from the interview suites and the young person sort of stayed in that TP because of that that stress and anxiety response that they they felt. And so they recommended that they bring that into the interview suite. And as long as the recorded interview could see the young person answering the questions, they were able to engage with the little sort of TP flaps open. And then during a break, they'd close it so they would have that sort of space to themselves. And that was really effective in keeping them engaged for a longer period of time, especially for a very young person. Their engagement can be very short. But if there are sort of strategies in place to, to keep them engaged, they'll attend for a lot longer. So vulnerable witness intermediaries are on hand to help lawyers and police investigators at the preparation stage to help them, I guess, formulate questions or to create the best environment in which to allow a child to give the authentic best evidence that they can give. But are they also on hand during a trial or during a police interview? Do they sit beside 
a vulnerable witness and, I don't know, interpret questions and answers back and forth like an interpreter? John Taggart. Some people will compare the role to an interpreter, for example, um, a translator. But in fact, it's quite a bespoke, unique role and, and it's quite difficult to draw direct comparisons with other roles. So in fact, intermediaries don't interpret as such. Um, what they certainly do not do is they, they certainly don't pose questions themselves to a witness. They don't tell police or lawyers how to ask questions. Now, what they might do is if, if, a, if a particular officer or lawyer is struggling to ask a question in an appropriate accommodating way, then the lawyer might ask for advice from an intermediary how best to structure it, if that's really a communication breakdown. But the boundaries and parameters of the role are really, really crucial. And and this is something Laura touched on. Intermediaries and their impartiality, uh, they take it very, very seriously. And anything mm-hmm. that would seem to suggest that the intermediary is encroaching on the role of a questioner, for example, is not appropriate. And, and I have to say, intermediaries are not supporters. They're not questioners. They are there to facilitate communication. And that will take many forms, but it doesn't blend or doesn't roll into a role of uh, interpreter, translator or questioner. So it's important intermediaries know their role. That that comes back to their role as um, neutral officers of the court. And and I understand that they have to undertake rigorous training to become uh, accredited. And and as I think one of you mentioned before, they're often speech pathologists, psychologists, social workers or occupational therapists. In other parts of Australia, vulnerable witness intermediaries only work with complainants in, in child sexual assault cases. The ACT program covers all vulnerable witnesses, regardless of age and regardless of the crime. Laura Celesio, since its commencement in the Act, I think back in 2020, do you have a sense of how many witnesses or how many complainants have been assisted in this way? So in our first year, we had 135 referrals. And to compare this year, we were already at 240 referrals. So on this this financial year versus last financial year, 52% increase. And we've noticed that year on year. And are we talking predominantly, what, children under 15? Are are there also people, adults with, say, cognitive uh, or communication issues? Yes, I'd say there's probably three quarters of our referrals are for those aged 18 and under, but that's still quite a few referrals for those that are older. We had a 92-year-old come through the program with dementia that the police were trying to interview around a fraud matter. So we are probably the broadest program um, in Australia in terms of its reach and capacity for taking on matters. I'd say that there's 54% of referrals indicate something that there's a communication issue other than just age because the way that the program was implemented, the first sort of phase were the prescribed witness categories, uh, which were child complainants in sexual offences and witnesses to homicide. And then gradually we started to accept a broader range of, of, of witnesses, including adults with communication difficulties. You're listening to The Law Report on RN. Today, we're looking at vulnerable witness intermediaries, and my guests are Laura Celesio, Director of the ACT's Intermediary Program, and John Taggart. He's Assistant Professor of Law at Queen's University in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Laura, can you tell me about what might have happened if there was no service like this in place? So I have a matter that's from my time in New South Wales, actually. We were only operational in two pilot locations, but I got a call from the um, 
detective inspector, I have this young person with special needs. We're almost convinced that something is happening, but we just cannot get her to um, engage with police. There was a bit of fear there, I think, but also just a barrier to communication with her disability. And so we sent the intermediary and she was she had a background in occupational therapy and she, she worked with police on strategies around communication, considering the needs of it with this, um, this young person. And they conducted two evidence-in-chief interviews with this young person. So on the first, they, they split it over two days just because of her age and, and her needs. She got very fatigued and she was able to disclose what had been happening to her. And the accused person in this matter was a bus driver for people with special needs. And he ended up pleading guilty and there was something to suggest that there might have been other victims. They tried two or three times, I believe, to interview her without any success. But having the intermediary there on that fourth occasion led to those disclosures, which ultimately led to the custodial sentence attached to that accused person. So, so the use of the intermediary was at the um, police interview stage as opposed to at yeah. the trial because um, it led to a guilty plea. Led to a guilty plea and they didn't have to go to court in the end because they pled guilty. We've seen lots of examples of that in the UK. Mm. In other types of scenarios, perhaps at the other end, you would have some defendants who perhaps otherwise would not be fit to give evidence. It's quite complex around fitness to plead, fitness to give evidence. But we absolutely have had cases where defendants without intermediary assistance would not be able to effectively participate in their own hearings. And we've seen lots of cases like that. But with mm. an assessment, with accommodations being made, with slower pace of questioning, with communication aids being used in court, that person is able to give evidence. They're able to have their side of the story heard and being impartial about it. That means someone might be able to have an acquittal where otherwise they wouldn't, or they may be found guilty where otherwise they wouldn't. It, I'm not taking sides on this. It's about the production of best evidence. And that's what's at the heart of the role. Well, interestingly, in Australia first, the ACT is about to extend the services of, of vulnerable witness intermediaries to defendants. And in doing so, it's following in the footsteps of Northern Ireland, which has been a pioneer in this area. John Tackett, in Northern Ireland, you've had vulnerable witness intermediaries assisting both an accused and also, you know, witnesses or complainants since way back in 2013. So you are world leaders in this space. How are vulnerable witness intermediaries used in Northern Ireland by defendants, by accused? From the start of the scheme, the Lord Chief Justice at the time, Sir Declan Morgan, said that the role would only be supported by the judiciary of Northern Ireland if it extended to both defendants and to witnesses. And he said that equality of arms demanded that the accused have equal access to the role as much as witnesses. So that really set the tone for this specialist communication role being available across the board. So to answer your question directly, we have intermediaries working with witnesses and suspects all the time. So intermediaries who are registered, trained, accredited by our Department of Justice, those intermediaries are as likely to be matched to a vulnerable suspect at the police custody as they are to a witness, uh, a young witness perhaps in court. So the good thing about Northern Ireland is that intermediaries are there from the start. So if a person is accused and they have a communication difficulty, that warrants intermediary assistance, they can have that right from the start of the investigative stage. So, for example, in Northern Ireland, we regularly have police request intermediary access for suspects. 
They will sit down with the intermediary prior to the suspect being interviewed. They will chat with the intermediary about the communication needs of the suspect, how the interview might go, some planning for it, the types of questioning that might be most appropriate. And in fact, from my own research, I found that the police officers who conduct those interviews, in fact, find the process easier to manage with the help of a communication expert such as the intermediary. So that's at the investigative stage and a court stage, of course, as well. Vulnerability doesn't stop at the police station. Vulnerable defendants at court being questioned and cross-examined by barristers will have intermediaries assisting them whilst giving evidence. And they're also, I understand, used in interviews between a suspect or an accused and their own legal team prior to a trial. Tell me about a really interesting example, which you say illustrates the real importance and the real contribution of this kind of uh, service. Yeah, so, so one particular case that stands out, a barrister trying to get instructions from their client, a client vehemently denying any involvement in the offences alleged. They were sexual offences, quite serious offences. Defendant adamant they weren't going to plead guilty. They denied it. But in fact, when an intermediary was introduced into the consultation to really break down and explain the nature of the evidence against the defendant from the prosecution and how, in fact, there was DNA evidence linking the defendant to the complainant in the case. Once the defendant understood the evidence against him and how strong it was, the defendant pleaded guilty. Now, that meant, practically speaking, the defendant got credit for the guilty plea. It meant the victim in the case was spared the ordeal of giving evidence and the traumatizing experience of giving evidence at court. And in fact, two or three other witnesses in the case who were due to give evidence were spared as well. So in fact, that's an example outside of the courtroom where intermediaries have a very important function to facilitate communication between lawyers and their vulnerable clients. And John Taggart, so listeners can get get a sense of what you mean, um, we, we probably have to speak to what was actually said. The barrister said five times, there's DNA evidence. And, mm. you know, Billy or whatever his name was just said, I didn't do it. And then in response, the intermediary said, look, they found bits of your body in her knickers. And at that point, Billy says, look, yeah, okay, I did it. So it was only when it was put in those simple terms that there was, if you like, a, a kind of a, a breakthrough and a, a better resolution for this trial process. Yeah, and the concept of DNA is very difficult to, to explain. And the intermediary was able to come into that case, as you, as you rightly say, and not talking in complex legalese about DNA and samples and things like that. And once that was broken down and explained in simple terms and not in the legalese that barristers are very used to, in fact, the defendant got it and understood the gravity of the charges and the gravity of the evidence against them. And we're talking here about an accused who was, what, a, a child themselves or an adult with a cognitive disability? In that case, it was it was a young it was a young suspect. But just to, to touch on something you said earlier on, there are lots and lots of vulnerable adults who are not children but still have intellectual impairments. And in fact, that that example that, that you gave that I explained a bit about that could easily have been applicable to an adult. I mean, the amount of vulnerability we see in the criminal justice process of people who, yes, they may be in their thirties, forties, fifties, but in fact, their IQ and reading age and literacy may be at the level of, of a, a seven, eight-year-old child. So in fact, extending this sort of assistance 
beyond children to adults is absolutely crucial. And thankfully, we're getting there bit by bit. Mm. Look, really interesting, John Taggart, you mentioned the term equality of arms before. Let's talk about some of the challenges or controversies associated with vulnerable witness intermediaries. Laura Celestio, Mm. back in 2020, shortly after the introduction of the scheme in the ACT, it was challenged by defence lawyers because they had concerns that these um, vulnerable witness intermediaries would prejudice an accused's right to a fair trial. What concerns did they have and what did the court rule in this case, which I think was a QX? Ultimately, the, the judge said that it's a fairness of a trial requires a triangulation of interests, which includes the witness in the matter. And so the I think the challenge wasn't successful based on that proceeding. If They, they were a child, I understand, yes. Yes, they mm. were. So they were prescribed witness already. They were a child complainant in a sexual offence. So in those matters, the court must turn their mind to appointing an intermediary if they are a prescribed witness, which this young person was. In matters where they are not prescribed witness, they must demonstrate a communication difficulty, which in the ACT is quite broad to not discount people who don't have a diagnosis or don't recognise that they have a disability. Some people don't wish to disclose that they have one. And so the definition is, is quite broad to, to allow for those people to access intermediaries um, in police and court contexts. This can work both ways in the Northern Ireland context and soon in the, the ACT context. Vulnerable witness intermediaries, do they intervene if mm-hmm. there's a sense that a defence barrister is being aggressive uh, towards a complainant witness or a prosecutor is being aggressive mm. towards an accused. And in the view of the intermediary, that mm. tone is going to upset the person who's giving their evidence. That's an excellent question because what we don't forget and what the intermediaries here in the ACT never forget is that this is a, it's an adversarial system. And so there is an element where a person's version or account is challenged and that's the right of the defence barrister in, in those matters where it's a vulnerable witness being questioned. So the intermediaries are not support people. They won't intervene if it's just that the questions are, are difficult, in term, not in terms of the, the way that they're formulated, but in the fact that they're content-wise, they're difficult to hear. And they are difficult to hear because of, of what they're being questioned about. The intermediaries will make recommendations sometimes around tone. If a witness during a communication assessment says, if someone takes a tone, um, it will heighten me and, and, and I will have stress and anxiety responses. The intermediary will make a recommendation around the type of tone that parties use during the questioning process. They will make recommendations around the pace of questioning, so allowing adequate time for someone to respond in totality to a question they are asked. Did, did they intervene in real time? When, when, when so, okay, so not just at the preliminary hearing where the ground rules are being set, but mm. they actually say when the I don't know the, the witness complainant is being mm. um, cross-examined by the defence barrister, they will say no, 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 stop, stop, stop. During the ground rules hearing, one of the recommendations, one of the directions that's usually made by that judicial officer is how the intermediary will let the court know that there's been a non-adherence to a direction made. And usually it's a a hand that's been raised and they'll say, Your Honour, the pace of questioning needs to be changed or the pace of questioning is increasing. And then the, the magistrate or judge will say, yes, please slow down. The pace or the tone? depends on what's being directed by the judicial officer. So if it's about tone and saying um, uh, to to check the tone, it, well, I can't say that there's been too many where we've made that recommendation. For the most part, it's about pace. Sometimes in those, during questioning, things can happen really fast. 
Um, and so intermediaries will just uh, say one question at a time. They'll make a recommendation around avoiding multi-part questions and they'll make recommendations around the pace of questioning, especially for very young people or people with a cognitive impairment. And invariably they'll say, Your Honour, can the pace of questioning please be reduced and can there be additional processing time for the witness? And then they will allow for that if it's been directed. And John Taggart, is that the way it works in Northern Ireland? It's it's predominantly about pace, but sometimes about tone. Do you ever have uh, the intermediary saying, no, no, there's, the tone here is too aggressive? And either, you know, a prosecutor or, or, or a defence barrister, yeah. Mm, I think this line of question is absolutely fascinating. We absolutely have had pushback from lawyers, barristers in particular, who have found some intermediaries too interventionist, for example. On the absolute opposite end of the spectrum, some barristers say, well, intermediaries didn't intervene at all. But in fact, what intermediaries will tell you about that latter example is if you've got a case where the intermediary doesn't intervene at all during the cross-examination, in fact, that might point to a job very well done at the ground rules hearing. So in fact, if an intermediary doesn't intervene, that might be all, mean that all of the rules have been adhered to. And in fact, communication has been flowing. So it very much depends on the nature of the questioning, nature of the witness, and ultimately, in, in lots of cases, the willingness of the judge to go along with the intermediary's recommendations and interventions. So it really very much depends. There would be an argument that, that these vulnerable witness intermediaries are not needed because the legal profession should already already have these skills and the judge should already have these skills. They should all be alive to these issues already and the police as well. Oh, well, that's that's a very contentious point, but it's a very, very important one. In my own opinion, the introduction of the intermediary itself as a special measure in 2004 initially and then later in Northern Ireland and now in Australia and other jurisdictions, is recognition, is evidence of the fact that there has been a problem, a communication problem within our system that hasn't been dealt with. The adversarial model and and, and the training that we have of lawyers just is not built to deal with or accommodate all of the needs of witnesses in a way that is uh, optimum. I think that's just the reality. Lawyers are trained in a certain way. Lawyers are trained to ask questions in a certain way. My, my background, my training is as, as a lawyer, so I can say that. We are trained to ask questions in a leading way if we're cross-examining. We are told to control witnesses. So, in fact, if you leave lawyers to it, to their own devices, I'm, I'm sorry to say the sad reality is that we're not necessarily always going to accommodate witnesses in the best way. So the intermediary is a safeguard in a sense. It's a neutral one. It's an impartial one. But it acts as a safeguard to ensure that some of the most vulnerable people that come before our courts um, are able to have their side of the story heard. Uh, Laura Celestio, can I bring you in here for a final word? So, so when will the first accused or, or suspects be uh, able to, to access this kind of service? We're thinking towards the end of the year, but I will say that our legislation has allowed for accused the whole time. So it was always envisioned that we would roll out um, the intermediary service to vulnerable accused at some point. And indeed, we had an intermediary supporting the evidence of an accused person last year in a, in a homicide manner because the Chief Justice had, had, had appointed one. And that case you, you talked about from last year in the ACT, it was a homicide case. Did it involve a child as an accused? Yep. Yes. And that, that's regarded as a success? Very, very successful. So we, when it comes to a witness or a complainant before the court, there's a routine to it almost where the, they give evidence from the remote witness suite. Um, they're there for a, a point in time, and then, um, and then obviously they complete their evidence, and then that's that's it. With this young person, and, and obviously it's only if that 
accused person decides to give evidence in their matter and they did choose to give evidence in their matter on this occasion. Um, so the intermediary had to consider the logistics of it because he was in custody. So how would we introduce um, resources to someone who was in custody? Where would they wait? Because normally they would be down in the remote witness suite, but on this occasion we had to wait at the back of the court until the young person was brought up to the witness box. Where would the intermediary sit? Because obviously not in the remote witness suite, they'd sit next to them up near the witness box. So there's a lot of considerations to give and, and the young person, I think, with the intermediary's recommendation was able to give very clear evidence and to advocate for themselves. We'll keep a close eye on, on the ACT and the rollout of this program. Uh, really very interesting. Uh, Laura Celesio, uh, the ACT Intermediary uh, Program Director and Dr John Taggart, Law Lecturer at Queen's University in Belfast, thank you both for speaking to The Law Report. Pleasure, thank you. Absolute pleasure, thank you very much. That's all we have time for on The Law Report. A big thank you to producer Rachel Bongiorno and also to sound engineer Angie Grant. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next time with more law. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.